you tell me what I'm saying? Sooner or later, he's going to cut you down. God's going to cut you down? Yeah. That's been our experience, huh? Now, now, as I'm interviewing you and your uh, your career in uh, in art school, you went to New York for a $100,000 art school, did you tell me? No, I went to Los Angeles Otis Art Institute. They have locations in New York City and Paris. What's the name of it again? Otis. Otis. It was founded by Otis Chandler, the founder of the Los Angeles Times, who had a female relative that loved the arts. Uh, so he founded that school in Los Angeles, downtown. And I went to that campus near MacArthur Park. It's at uh, Wilshire and Carondelet, between MacArthur Park and Lafayette Park. That's right by the, uh, the outlet over there. It's right by a lot of things, <laughs> good and bad. Mostly shady and sketchy, but uh, God bless them. <laughs> So that's where you went to school. The name of it again, is it still operated today? Otis. Yeah, they're out by the airport now. What's it called? Otis. Otis. Now At, it's Otis Art. How much did it cost and how long did you do? I did, I was accepted as a sophomore. It's a private, uh, I had the transferable credits. It was like a high school? No, it was a college. College? Yeah, I had, I had a Bachelor of Arts degree, so uh, EFA. So I had to, I got in as a, as a second year student. I had a portfolio plus the credits. And uh, at that time, I got out of there owing about $15,000. It is a very expensive school. Um, they didn't take just anyone. Most of the, a lot of my classmates were international from all over the globe. And it was a really, it was a pleasure to uh, study with them. So much for a recording today. Huh? No recording today. Unless they turn that off. Yeah, it don't look like they're gonna hide it. Just gonna. Billions of dollars are going in next door, huh? All that operation. It's like uh, putting some kind of paint or something on the floor, huh? Oh, over there? Uh, asphalt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a billion dollar project, multi billion. It's got to be. But, um, Federally funded. You no, know, LA's infrastructure was not built to contain all this traffic. <laughs> Yeah, Model T's back then, right? Yeah. That was, uh... And that's odd because these the streets up here are so wide, but down in Long Beach, they're narrow. I mean, really narrow. And uh, most of those, I guess, were paved around the turn of the century. Last century. Well, it seems like it was, they always wanted more like a, a very humble, not, not thriving society, just...
work in L.A. and live over there, huh? Well, Long Beach. And a lot of it was uh, the oil industry, military, and aerospace in the surrounding cities. It kind of, I guess it blossomed like uh, World War II. I do uh, go into the munitions business. A lot of subcontractors for like McDonnell Douglas, uh, Northrop. So we were we were talking about um, the reason I asked you about your school yeah. is because uh, your family uh, saw that you were gifted in that area, and so you were what? How old were you when you started with the clay? Your dad brought some. Oh, yeah, a lump of clay a, home and cut some off. Gave us uh, my older brother, me, and. Uh, <laughs> the second youngest brother, uh -huh. and they, I don't know, they were fiddling around, and I just ended up doing Superman or something. So they kind of pushed me in that direction. They were very supportive. And, uh, and, and did they allow you to use your imagination and create a lot of your own oh, absolutely. toys and stuff? Sure, they didn't hinder me, they were very supportive. But luckily at that age, I wasn't corrupted in drawing some of the things I ended up drawing as a teenager. Uh, a lot of it's tattoo material type of stuff uh -huh. at that age. That, uh, no, my mother would not like it. But anyway, uh, it was still not discouraged. You mean you, you mean you, you didn't draw like Renaissance and things of for the church or anything? You were you were working for the other kingdom, drawing evil things, uh, tattoos. <laughs> oh, they're not bad things. A lot of it would be a flower or a oh, the banner. Tattoo was, material. Like nothing violent or anything. Oh, like that. good, nothing good. Dark or violent. Oh, okay, great. Then my my mind had, is the one that went. Oh, there. I've seen all of that. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I could draw it, but I choose not. You to. draw more natural beauty, natural yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, if drawing a female form is dark, I don't. I didn't make it. God created it. Well, yeah, that's that's now that's and, uh, uh, that's not know, dark. Even Un female? unless you have you know horns coming out of her or something, you know. <laughs> I may have dated one or two, but uh, the horns came out in the nighttime. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, and read this one. Uh, yeah, see if we can talk about it. Hey, you know what you got to do when you're reading? Take, get those orange pylons. Do not <laughs> detour while I'm reading. You know, oh, go yeah. that way. What? Just like they do in the studios, on air, in session. Right, right. Like you see in a movie. Okay, the name of this book is. Oh, um, I'm trying to get my. Do I have to tell you what I'm going to read? So you can no, go ahead. I'm mine's. I'm gonna. You just do it professionally right. the way you do. When start on, I got mine's running. I'm gonna cut it. I'm gonna splice it later. Okay. So. Uh, oh, I gotta see. But can you still further your education on uh, drawing? Yeah. yeah, I can go to a, for a master's. The best way to do it really is practice. Can you teach? Yeah, I'd have to get a certification. Yeah, I have a bachelor. Uh, yeah, I can. All I have to do is take one test for the state. That's it. Yep, it's called a CBEST test. And you can, it could be uh, Professor Patrick, PP. PhD. PhD. That's a doctorate. I'd have to go master's degree and then. That. So you can start people with the basics and, and make a living out of it. Yeah, little shapes, you know. But how many? Uh, every every one in five people is a is a arts. I mean, there's a lot of people, Kimberly, a lot of people that have gone that that route. Yeah. Well, I, everybody's born an artist, didn't you know that? Yeah, I I like. I mean, 
when they see someone will come up to me if I'm drawing something and it looks all detailed, say, uh, oh yeah, I used to draw, but I stopped with stick figures and crayons. And I said, well, that's the difference between you and me. You stopped. I just kept practicing. <laughs> and I kept watching and practicing and developing hand skills. Yeah, the reason I ask is because the, uh, the regular schools, like the adult schools, all are required for you to have 10,000 hours in your profession, and then you become, you're able to teach. I mean, um, in that, well, if I, it was here. I don't think their requirements are that, that stringent. When I graduated, my mom was working in the LA Unified School District as a library. She kind of suggested that I uh, become a teacher for a while because we were in the middle of a bad recession. The printing and graphics industry was changing over to computers. It all became digital, and I was trained with uh, hand skills with brushes and pens. Oh, yeah, and yeah. So I had to make that adjustment. And I told my mom I wouldn't last a week there. You know why? Because some smart smart mouth kid is going to say something. I say, look, you don't want to be here, then get out. I'll just give you a D minus for the term and don't waste my time or anyone else's. Bye. And I'd probably get shown the door real quick. You know, people are here to learn. You want to goof off? There's a time and place for that, but not here. Well, that should, you should have shot your career real fast. Well, like. the reason I say that because I was the guy that used to screw around in class. So yeah. I can spot them a mile away. The <laughs> <laughs> class clowns and the goof offs and. So, yeah. But I would encourage art for anybody. Uh, where is that? Oh, I forgot how to use this. So is today's date 26? Yeah. Greetings, everyone. My name is Patrick, and I'll be reading from Answers to Praise by Merlin C. Carruthers. It's basically a, a write-in a testimony from some of his previous books. And here we have one titled, Missionary Son. I read your two books with great interest. The Lord has challenged me to practice praise in difficult problems. I am a missionary in the Bahamas, and I meet so many people who need your message. I need to understand it for my own family. Is it possible for us to praise God for another person and expect these miracles when the person is not interested and far away? I want to do this for my son who is so deceived by the ungodly teaching and influence at his college. Hmm. And Mr. Carruthers' comments were, a prayer that is filled with grief or anxiety is a prayer of unbelief. If we believe God is answering our prayers, we should have joy. Jesus said to bring our burdens to him and leave them there. If we relinquish control, we have the right to believe God is working out the best plans for those we love. We need to trust God instead of laboring over problems that only he can solve. Our own fear and unbelief could be the very focus that prevent him from answering our prayers. The most powerful form of prayer is the prayer of praise. When we ask God to do something for someone, it is then time to praise him that he is doing it. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's from 1 John 5.14. Thank you. What do you think about that? Let's go ahead and talk about it. 
What, you, what experience you have in something like that? I, I know my son uh, started knocking capitalism, my younger son, when he started going to um, Merced College. He said that we were too greedy, trying to you know pay our bills, and and uh, and I go, really? Where are you learning all that? You know, and politics and all that stuff instead of. Uh, learning a trade that he could be of service and get a, a mass amount of money and satisfaction on it, you know. So I was, I, I know I understand that precisely. I thank you God and praising God for my son. Today he has a job and he is in service and he's doing taxes for the public out there. And he'll do about 150 taxes a year. Wow. So what a skill is that, huh? That's pretty good. Yeah, for H&R Block. I go, how many do you do? Eh, about 150 then. Is that seasonal? Yeah. Or all year round. No, it's seasonal, and then he likes his time off, and he goes unemployment, and he takes off around traveling, went to Austin, Texas, here and there, you know. Doing what? Just traveling? Yeah, visiting. Yeah, traveling. He's all his college buddies. He had a chance to go to uh, UCLA there, and he met a lot of friends there when he went for accounting and stuff. Higher math, so I can't talk mm. to him. No. What do you think? I want you to hear your vision. Do you have a son, or, or were you the were you the guy that changed your views when you went to college? I changed my views absolutely. <laughs> I was uh, I was kind of like a long hair type that uh, yeah, smoking dope and uh, and all that, chasing women, basically uh, no responsibility and. Uh, Who was paying your bills? Uh, I was working, and I called my own shots for a while. Then I got hit by a car. And what changed me from that attitude of, um, uh, I don't know, just being nonchalant and carefree was having a child. Oh, All of a child. sudden, I went, my priorities went from like, uh, you know, when is gun, Guns N' Roses gonna be in town for a rock concert to, man, I gotta save my money for diapers. <laughs> uh, I got a mortgage to pay. I got property taxes, and I became a little bit more aware of the world around me and actually concerned about the world my child was going to grow up in. Therefore, I became what some people call conservative. Wow. Or, I don't know, old-fashioned, but or for some reason... Or Republican. No, I'm, I'm a registered... Wouldn't go that infant. far, huh? No, I was Republican for about five minutes. <laughs> Same with a Democrat. I don't, I'm not affiliated with any of them. I'm a live-and-let-live type keep government off my back and I'm cool but um well that was the, the turning point for me you know I had to cut my hair and become an adult and uh that's what happened it, it was a you know it's a life-changing event having a child uh-huh. and uh yeah you, you really do go from uh you know worrying about your stuff and you become unselfish or I did and worried about the welfare of my child my, my daily rituals changed. I had to go to bed at night, but not before I sterilized all the baby bottles. Made sure all of his clothes were clean for the next day. Made sure everything was just right to keep him comfortable and safe. It was basically uh, my main objective daily. Uh-huh. Keep my son safe and comfortable and well-fed. Warm at night. That's what happened. I guess I became like a... My classmates were maybe a, two years younger than me. I was a little bit older. And I don't know, they used to make fun of me thinking, I, and I looked like a cop too. So, so 
That helps. Uh, well, in some situations. But, um... Okay, well, let's talk about God. That he, uh, he says if we put it on his, on his arms, uh, a situation of thanking God. Let's, for instance, you have a son, I have a son. And um, when do we come to a point we start worrying about him and we put God into the man's hand, Jesus? Uh, you think it's it relates to how big we think our God is, how how powerful we think our God, or do we get a joy from turning it over? He said that's what the article is saying. To get a joy in turning it over and let God be God on this situation. And meanwhile, what do we do? Well, we're supposed to thank Him that He heard us. Thank you, God, you're on it. Thank you, God, you're mighty. Thank you, God, you got my son in your hands. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Uh, any any comments on that? On the um, on the procedure? Well, yeah. On paper, um, you turn it over to God, and normally I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's in His hands. God says, "I got this." You know, it's like hold my beer. I got this. You know. But being human, uh, I do mentally interfere and worry, have anxieties. And I read somewhere, it may have been through some uh, recovery literature or even in the Bible, uh, that once you give it to God and then you still start worrying about the outcome, then you're not trusting God at all. Why bother asking him if you're still going to worry about it? So, it's... Yeah, like, like how are you going to pay a bill? Or if your car's going to get repossessed? I mean, really, oh, sure. really big things, right? Or, or your girlfriend's not calling you back, you know? Or well, you said something the der derogatory that you... Oh, uh, well, that... You can always go back and apologize and explain yourself. Yeah, see if you, you, get do. you can pray uh, and ask God, please, uh, ho hopefully this person will be understanding when I go to apologize and explain myself. But you, you brought out a really good point. There, There's two people in us, according to the Bible, maybe three... There's the Holy Spirit, which is common sense in us. There's the lazy flesh that just wants to, to say, I'll do it my way. And then there's the soul that seems to pick up all the information. And it has to be, the soul has to be respected. And uh, because once it turns on you, that you can't, it's very hard to change his mind. Um, Anyway, that's it's perplexed. The the human beings are perplexed. And you said, from a natural point of view, I start worrying, and from a spiritual point of view, I start believing and having faith. Yeah. So so we have to switch over to the uh, the spiritual man, right? A key component to the spiritual part of me personally is uh, the art of exercising patience. Mm. It's like, okay, and we are a uh, society of um, instant gratification. We want it, and we want it now. At a click or a press of a button, we want it now. Well, you know, they have and, these... these uh, there's, God's world doesn't work like that. There's a doctor called John McDonnell, and he's, he does uh, demographics uh, of the whole world that says... This affluent society here, United States, they, they have all, all the things you can possibly have, you know. Uh, sugar for their tea, steak, everything they want. And then these other countries, they don't have that. They have 
beans and tortillas or they have rice or they have greens and so forth and they have like in Africa they have wonderful teeth with no kind of cavities they have there's no sense of heart attacks in those regions they're 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 walk barefooted and they and they have to tend to their garden and they don't have diabetes they don't have all these things and so forth affluent as a part to uh, nature living natural living over here we have so much preservatives in our food you know you oh yeah I, I when I was a child when I came from Mexico over here I think I was about seven years old and when I was eight or nine years old I remember eating a, a, a bread very late and I was walking to the street and it felt like there was something was choking my my throat it felt like uh, it felt like a chemical was in there, and my body was just not liking that piece of bread. You know, like Wonder, here in America. Yeah, Wonder yeah. Bread or something like that. Yeah. There was something in that preservative that was, and it did it. It did it a lot of times. You know, that the certain kinds of breads, that cheap breads. Yeah, you had a reaction. Yeah. If your body's not used to it. You're probably used to eating uh, the tortillas the bread down there. But they, yeah, they had. They get the wheat and the corn right in their backyard and sweet bread they had sweet bread over there but over i think it was preservatives that were introduced over here that my body was was yep. reacting to yeah, it yeah and after a while i started breaking out in hives and stuff you know and yeah. uh, the bread will cling on to your gut and create yeah, pasty yeah paste so as les would say and it was lazy meals, you know. Ah, why, why go ahead and oh, yes. make a pot of beans and have to wait for the beans and everything? Let's just get a piece of bread, put some mayonnaise on it, and a little yep. bologna and cheese. Oh, that's processed. Processed, and that's Every where I gained a lot of weight. Before you know it, at 13 years old, I had a 36-inch waist. That's pretty big, huh? Gordo. The, yeah, Gordo. My mommy said she had to buy pants from... <laughs> the old section and hem up the pants <laughs> and that was when I left home at 16 to go work or actually she was grateful I was out of the house because I was eating house and home and everything and causing too much hay actually one well, less mouth to feed go <laughs> oh you too huh yeah well they live kind of a, they're not involved in this rat race in those countries you know the dog eat dog world they okay. don't have to worry about getting caught up in traffic on the way to work when they get to work after an hour and a half in traffic they're halfway burned out and spent which is no fair to them or their boss which causes stress yeah okay and uh that causes uh its own share of uh, health issues uh you know cancer ulcers all that Heart, heart disease. So, I, I, you know, talking about making a pot of beans, I think I'll make a pot of beans and I'll have patience and I'll get hungry and I'll anticipate the cilantro, mm -hmm. you know, the, the corn tortillas and just have a, a iron type of, a, with no preservatives. Yeah. Well, my thing is, is if, it, if it grows on a tree, on a vine or in the ground, you can't go wrong. Uh -huh. Like, especially if it's your own from your own yard or your neighbor's. That's from uh, some corporate agricultural concern, which what they have now. Right, right. They, and they call it food. Or genetically modified or genetically manufactured. I mean, pizza, everything you... you. I mean, this pizza craze got not a thing. I say, hey, what's going for lunch? Pizza, that's not really a lunch, right? 
It depends. Well, if you get it from Domino's, that's poison. Poison. But if you make it yourself with the flour okay. and the egg and okay. whatever the ingredients are to make the, uh, the dough, and then you can make your own tomato sauce. Okay. Add your own cheese if you got a goat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if you want to be a purist about it. There's a lot of work into being a, a purist. Huh? But in those countries, they also don't eat canned foods. They don't really use microwaves. Uh-huh. Right? They cook stuff over a, like a spit, an outdoor spit, or like an outdoor rotisserie, you know, where they turn it. Yeah. Like you see in the movies. Yeah. When I was in Vietnam, I saw those kids running back and forth, the healthiest can be with their eyes, and all, all they were doing was like eating something like corn. And the lady was smashing it, and she had six, seven, eight kids, huh. and she's smashing it like a butter smasher and making uh, some kind of meal. And, 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 and because of their hut and their thing, and it didn't look like they had anything else other than that stuff. Could have been rice. No, it wasn't rice. It was more staple. like a corn they were busting up on. Uh... Mm. It's possible, too. Oh, man, what a deal, huh? So because of the hunger, it became a delight when you sat down and ate it. The hunger helped. Well, one thing I've noticed when I see people that were born in countries like that, uh -huh. even on TV, they have healthier skin. You notice that? Mm. They're beautiful people, right? Yeah. They just glow with yeah. God's glory. Yeah. It's like their skin is soft and pure, and, you know, they're older than me, but they look 20 years younger, you know? And, you know, a lot of it, you know, I smoke, of course, and uh, that will make you age. And then we go into the fast food and... Fast food, and, yeah. And eat a hot dog for lunch at the 7-Eleven. Yeah, I'm guilty. You know, when I was driving truck, uh, that's, that was my favorite. Go in there and buy a tuna sandwich. Well, I'm eating healthy, but I didn't realize it was all full of preservatives in the 7-Eleven with a cup of coffee. Speaking of that, I spoke with Chris last night about the marinade for that fish. We'll go pick some up today. So you go to Albertsons or Bonds, but go to the back where they, the butcher, and you just marinate it for a little while. So still got that big steak of mine in here, right? I said, yeah, throw it on the barbecue or uh, broil it. You brought fish over here? Yeah, remember when I brought nope, the stuff nope, in? No, I don't remember room? nothing. It's gone. Of course you don't. You're an alcoholic. <laughs> right? I'm going to tell Fernando. I thought command. it was all chicken you brought. Chicken and fish. Oh, okay. Unless well, you needed the fish. Then... No, it's still in there. Okay. I, you know, we ate the other one. But, uh, talking about that, so let's, let's do it right away. You want to do it for Friday, this coming Friday? For the for everybody, that would be good, huh? Here we got so much of it. Uh, do you have yours too? Okay. Well, according to Chris, you, you just marinate it for an hour at the most. Where so do you get the marinade? He said uh, Bonds or Albertsons. Uh -huh. Just go in the back to where the the butcher is, and they do have other like steak marinades and all that stuff too. And uh, they're very helpful back there. Even probably Stater Brothers, where I work, where I live, over there. But if he says Vons or Albertsons, I trust him. He lives around here. That's probably where he gets his. It's called Pokies. Pokies. Well, well, well. Look at you, little princess. You woke doing, up, huh? You doing her pup? Hey, girl. Wake up. She's excited, huh? You reunited with the owner? Hey, Daisy. I missed you. 
You have a good nap? Oh, she's gonna get some she vitamin was, D now. She was out, huh? Yeah, she would keep wanting to lay down at the park, you know, on the, on the thing. Yeah, she loves the sun. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the way she was laying down. I figured she needs a good nap, you know. Yeah, she would do that even when she was a puppy. Oh. It's a she tough job being a, a dog like that. <laughs> what a life. Well, we got to work cut out to us. As you know, the officials stay there if we don't, uh, they help me to uh, pull it out on Thursday and start downing it out. Yeah, I can pick up the marinade somewhere. Uh, that fish was pretty good, let me tell you. Did you eat the red one or just the white? Because I just ate the white stuff. Remember you gave us two? Yeah, I read it. I ate the red one. I don't know. I think I should no, I I I have, one. One, have one of each. Okay. Which one are we going to do? The white one? I can't do my white one because I ate it. Oh. I have the red one. Well, we can do the red one. The red, that's what we had last night, right? Red? I didn't have any, but I, he brought some, though. What was it? White I, didn't, or... I didn't have any. I didn't even see it, but I think it was uh, the red. It was a big old steak slab. It looked like, uh, yeah. Could have been. It wasn't the white one. It was uh, It was the orange-red one. It was huge. It's just like steaks, man. Oh, they... and he said the way you cook it, you, when you cook it, keep it red on the inside. That's the way it's meant to be. Yeah, we didn't do that last night. The fire was too hot. And thank God that Al started flipping them early. We realized they were already burning in the bottom. You know, you can make, like, uh, I hate to say it, but using processed food again, tartar sauce. With those, with some uh, buns, some oh, lettuce and tomato. Yeah, tartar sauce, lemon on it, and I mean, it just came out really good. I, I put myself on a wrap of lettuce and I put some lemon on it, and I was, man, I was good to go. I had my dinner right there. You know what an ingredient I use with a lot of seafood is dill. Dried dill. Yeah, I got Fresh you. dried dill. Uh -huh. Not the stuff in a little container, but right oh. from the produce section. Oh. I just made some tuna salad the other day with that. I think Vons has one. They do it with uh, other spices and herbs. Um, I know they do it with basil. You buy it, and it's in a plastic, but it's got a little clump of uh, potting soil, so it's an actual living plant. Oh, yeah. So you can get some potting soil, put it in a pot, water it, and then grow it, and then you have your own. Yeah, man, that's pretty good. You can get all of them, huh? All the uh, rosemary, yeah. you get mint. Rosemary, yeah, dill, uh, cilantro. <sighs> all those good things. All I got is mint here growing. It's probably good for your teeth. Mint? Oh, I think I'm done with my vitamin D for today. It's a cool shirt. Oh, yeah. It's, uh... Thank you, sir. Ready for uh, Hawaii. I didn't get to the gym yesterday. <laughs> hey, Pat. Hey, good morning, Fernando. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good. Let's get our brothers. Did you find your, uh, your, your readings? Yeah, it was buried, but I got it. Hey, that is awesome, man. You're talking about the printout, right? Right, right. Yeah, okay. Oops, I got some other pictures in there, too. Yeah, I got it. I'm ready. All right, let's go ahead and start with the uh, set-aside prayer. It goes, Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, about myself, about others, 
and this program for a fresh new revelation in you, in myself, my fellow man, and these 12 steps for my recovery in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and do the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right, we'll go ahead and start in page 24. Uh, okay. I will read a couple of paragraphs, and then you read them. It'll take us about 20 minutes to go through the whole thing. Okay. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation or even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. The almost certain consequence that follows taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur... They are crazy and really supplanted with the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of, of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hands on a hot stove. Patrick, alcoholic. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink use anyway. When this sort of thinking is fully established alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. By the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a Go ahead, keep going. Most like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others and it had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. If you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and we had to pass into the region from which there is no return through human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other was to accept spiritual help. 
This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. <clears throat> Page 62, please. Selfishness, self-centeredness. You got it? Hello? You got it? You have it on your book? Yes, I do. Yeah, go ahead. I, oh, I thought I lost you. I, I apologize. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, I apologize. Uh, page 62. Yes. Selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our trouble. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some point in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position of deep hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would like to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Here is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arc for which we passed to freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. And relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. We turn to page 76. Uh, and, that's, and that says, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that he should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. 
Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Now we turn to page 86, please. On awakening. Page 86. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motive. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. A thought is on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may, we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunt for the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, that we find our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration we come to rely upon. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we've been shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstance warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause. When agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action, we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more self-efficient. We do not tire easily, easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It helped me a great deal to be... Well, that's good. I'm sorry, we jumped over to page uh, 416. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're on it. Keep going. I'm sorry. That's, that's 448 in the 30th Yeah. And I'll resume. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue. That I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time. And that sobriety was not a, a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the community. 
At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I had been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, is it true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. That's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. And acceptance proved to be the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I cannot stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation. And I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection, just as I did. AA and acceptance has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. That we are all children of God and that we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. For years, I was sure the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it is the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I am better off that I don't give advice, don't figure if I know what's best, and just accept life on life terms as it is today, especially my own life, as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It's as though AA had given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift for being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was as if I had, rather than a Midas touch which turned everything to gold, a magnifying mind that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years, as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew, and we married. And all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. But then as I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. And the more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was nothing, she receded a little more into nowhere, the more I drank, the more she looked. Then one day in AA, I was told I had the lenses in my glasses backwards. Courage to change in the serenity fair, 
make. Not that I should change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow and grow and grow. I could do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on his defects, lay starts, long drunkalog, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. But when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Turn to page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing of all for me is to remember that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are, the lower is my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectations. But then my rights try to move in, and they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to be done. And I don't leave the results up to him. However, it turns out that's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations. For my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I've never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. You will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. It worked for me then and it has worked for me many times since and will work for me every time I'm willing to work it. Sometimes I ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, I think it will work for all of us. As another great man says, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This great experience will release me from the bondage of hatred and replace it with love. It's really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous, and everything I need I get, and when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day on spiritual progress. 
if you persist, you, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Page 83, please. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. It is easy to let up on a spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Yeah. Uh, page 43. Oh, no. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Page 43 now, please. Go ahead. Take us home, Patrick. I don't have the complete page 43. Oh, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first strength, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being can provide us such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. DM. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful readings. Notice that our first reading was on page 24, and, he, and it says... The first, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. And then it goes on, we are without defense against the first drink. And then it finishes with, uh, our defense must come from a higher power. And I experienced, I experienced that, that when I was out there drinking that two or three weeks later, I forget, I forgot all the trouble that I was in, that I got myself into. You know, and the that's why the chips on the keychain, and I was at it again. I was going to the to the club and so forth, and then I realized that hey, 
I can't be doing this. I'm going to get caught again. It's going to be a case on top of a case on top of a case. So I thank God for uh, repetition of these words. They keep me on the cutting edge. All right, sir. What did you get out of it, please? Well, I'm going to uh, piggyback off of what you, you just said. Uh, can you explain to me what is our... De- I'm going to give you a... Act like I don't know anything. Well, sir, what is the defense when we have no defense at that particular moment, as we just quoted the good book? Well, that's very good. What, what, can- do, what do you do to uh, safeguard yourself? The defense to me comes with a with a group of people that we do uh, what we're doing now. Uh, it comes out of our words, a defense. Like we we prayed in, and I'm impressed with these words. So what these words are going to do? What we did right now on this session. That's why I go to a twelve step meeting. The uh, the fruit of the twelve step meeting, the uh, adding of the words we read is. It gives me faith, hope, and an awareness, and it pops up right in front of me when I'm when I stick the key into that. The awareness of a higher power just pops up because I planted something in my heart earlier by going to a meeting and honestly saying saying the prayers, honestly participating in my readings, and from there I get a, a red flag, a flags that come up around me. When I neglect that one is when those flags don't come up. The the spiritual awareness is not. We call it a spiritual awareness because it takes the power of God to raise those flags up, you know, and and to and to talk to us. You know, words have a significant role in our recovery and redemption, so we can move forward and get those nice things in life and enjoy them and and don't piss on benefits that are coming our way. We are worthy of a good, good life. We, we are worthy. Does that help? Yeah. However, I'll take it a step further. The question, uh, and it's coming from a uh, uh, a relapser with many priors myself. What if we do the things that suggested? You know, get get on the phone, say a prayer, uh, read some something out of the big book. Um, you know, eat some candy or something. But what if that power, that urge to drink is just, it just consumes everything you've just done and just drives you against your will to go get the alcohol. Uh, well, the, what the, do you uh, think that's so powerful? Anything worthwhile is, is worth <laughs> You finish? Yes. Anything, anything worthwhile is worth doing bad, you know, and the commitment is the most important thing of all is to be committed to uh, keep on trying, keep on doing your best to, because uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. You have a desire. The most courageous people I have are the honest people that are, that are you know, have slips, but they come back in and they say, I had a slip, and they don't let shame, pride, ego keep us away after you had a slip. You just keep what we call that falling forward. I made a commitment to ace this program, and I made a commitment to be good at it. 
I said, I'm going to be good and I'm going to be using the AA program. So no one ever asked me to be good, you know, just, just be a good person. And this program helps me to be a good person. Um, when I, I chose to be a good person, then the program helped me to, uh, to achieve that. So I like to ask you and everyone listening here, I like to ask you to be good, be good. You be good to yourself. You, you, you're God. You're understanding of God, your your fellow man, the other people that will come with a court card or looking for direction and for our loved ones. So they will be at peace and they know that we're we're in good hands, that we're not out there in arm's way, uh, causing misery to society, to ourselves and to others that love us. How about that? That was good. Yeah, that that kind of registered with me. So, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, those are pretty cool words to uh, remember. I wish I had taken notes, but I just remembered I have it all on this uh, Anchor podcast thing. So, yeah, the last part of what you said was cool. And, uh, yeah, you're right about God. Um, you know, as you know, in my case, I went from lawn sprinklers to <laughs> to where I am now, which is where I need to be, as we just said on page 52 of everything I need. Hey Amen. We, we, uh, we continually throw these words into our, our guts so they'll bring out words that are not working, like resentments and hatred or disappointments or just feeling that we're not worthy. That's a big feeling we need, we need to get out because, you know, once we start feeling the worthiness of our, of our creator, our Father God, our God that loves us, he starts... Uh, we're pumping in words with uh, commitment and love, and and the words are going to work. They're they're pushing out negative negative phrases, negative ideas, things of no value, and especially in the ma- imagination, they re- de- diffuse our imagination, and we see start seeing ourselves uh, worthy and able to get a better life through uh, through service. But the beauty about this information here, it creates joy, which we don't have to drink when we have joy. It creates wisdom. We don't have to think things. And that easy does it uh, rhythm in life when we participate willingly. It only takes a half hour of what we just done, right? We, we apply our honesty to it, and it just, it just grows from there. Amen. Yes, amen to that. Yeah, putting good words into our hopper so we have something to munch on all day long. And then we finish with prayer and we have significant, outstanding, remarkable lives and things start to cook and happen. And we get intrigued with life and uncovering and discovering and, and seeing new places, new people and new things. Life really gets interesting in this program. It's, it's a- animated in full color you know it's it's like i say children and alcoholics are say the darnest things and if you want entertain, <laughs> entertainment go to a meeting where uh, a new person you know the, the creativeness is good we love it uh hmm. i'll uh, i'll make note to notice that the next time yeah, they just keep us entertained. It's no better 
better than a sitcom. This is all the way live, you know. You know who said that quote was a guy, a TV host in the early days of TV was Art Linkletter. What did he say? He said that quote, uh, something about kids say the darndest things. I believe it was his show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, the sad fact is his son uh, killed himself during an LSD uh, overdose. I think he jumped off a building. So... Mm, that's sad. I'm that's sorry to, to uh No, that's the truth. We have about eighty thousand deaths a year, alcoholic related driving things, and that's what we're doing yeah. here. We're doing community service, keep awareness that uh don't drink and drive, man, you know, just park the car and walk, you know. And uh I know it's fun drinking and driving and, and testing the roads, but it's Russian roulette, you know, we are gonna hurt somebody or hurt ourselves. Uh, there is better ways of entertainment, you know, and that's I like. That's why I like to ask you to be good and use the twelve-step program to help you to be good in life all the way through. You know, just making good choices is the is the right place to to have a good life. We it comes back to us, you know, being being available for others. Amen. Uh, that's that's the uh, courageous. Uh, you want to see how tough you are, try helping somebody in the program, you know, try to help someone change their lives. You know, it's easy to drink and, 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 uh, and, and throw a tantrum and uh, break everything. But it's, it's hard thing to go out there and uh, help someone and be, be available. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming in today. We're going to close with the Our Father, and I believe we, we're good to go today to go out there, get go have some fun, and even if we have to work, move some furniture, it, it's still rewarding. Huh? <laughs> Amen. Let's go ahead and finish up. Do you have any other parting words, uh, Patrick? No. Thank you for the good, orderly direction today, Fernando. Thank you. Hey man, you're quite welcome. My pleasure. And everyone else, God bless each and every one of you. Let's go ahead and finish out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Right on. All right. I'll see you. In, I'll see you in a few. Just let me know when you're coming down, there, Patrick. Okay, be a little bit. All right. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Good morning, Patrick. Well, good morning. How are you? Rise and shine. We're good. We're good. I just got done talking with our friend Al Wingate. We we spoke about Psalm 149 in the Bible. It's pretty good. Um, you know, being being him, him uh, that went to uh, universities, and you went to a a private school in New York, wasn't it? Way back then, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. What did the, what did the what, what did let me uh, start off with prayer before we take off over a hill running like crazy? <laughs> sure. Uh, 
How's everything? How are you doing this morning in uh, in Long Beach? Uh, pretty good. Nice and quiet. Got up. No problem. Everything so far is uh, running smooth and on schedule. Hey Amen. Same here at six in the morning. Now we can't get too much trouble this early. More Not yet. opportunities. <laughs> Remarkable things will happen, you know, because we're, we're asking and seeking them by by doing this kind of stuff. Let's go ahead and do the Benjamin Franklin prayer, please, to, uh, to get a payload. You lead, because I've never heard this one before. Really? It goes to the Benjamin Franklin prayers. He says, <laughs> Bountiful Father, merciful guide, powerful goodness, dictate to me my truest interest and strengthen my resolutions to perform what the Spirit dictates. Accept my kind offices to your other children as the only way to pay back for your continual favors to me. Amen. Amen. That was a scientific prayer by a person that was groomed for the clergy, and he understood the rivers of the heavens of bounty coming down like water. Like a, You ever see a river that never stops flowing? It's just a powerful river. Uh, similar Niagara Falls. To me, I never seen Niagara Falls, but I did see the uh, Sacramento River, and I lived there, and it just flows and flows and flows. It's just a powerful, powerful river, and that's what yeah. Benjamin Franklin's prayer does. Once you establish that in the heavens, he'll just start pouring down idea after idea, power after power, strength upon strength, and then he's, in, he's intelligent enough that he has, he's got to give it away. He's got to give the payload away. Uh, he says, "He says, help me to help your children. That's the only way that I can pay back for your continuous favors to me. Huh. Uh, that is an amazing, uh, amazing prayer and biography. Love to hear read his biography. It makes it makes sense. It, my mom had a couple of his books on her." Uh, shelf at home never really did read much of it there was a book of quotes he had that were really cool Benjamin Franklin yeah Benjamin Franklin a noted yeah I understand he loved to brew and drink his own beer I don't know about that but uh, a a lot of the colonists did that we always look at the negative part you know what 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 girls he ran after but I, I read his no, that's the, no, that's the part that makes him human. Yeah. That's not yeah, negative. Yeah, he was uh, quite the ladies' man, too. Yes, yes. He's, but he's the, quite the worker, too. He was up early at night. He said, early to bed, early to rise makes a man wealthy, honorable, and wise. Something like that. Yeah, My- I heard I heard about, I read it in his autobiography on his own pen. Got it from the horse's mouth you know, what his life was, but he was married to the same gal all the way up to the 80s. But he did, yeah. go, to, he did go to France, and uh, that's where he was a diplomat, and that's where they wined him and dined him. And, and there was a young lady there that uh, maybe like a, a queen or something that, uh, you know, just like we do, we hook up with younger gals and, and bring them along with wis- wisdom in our you know, from what from what where we learn, right? And we get we enjoy that they take information from us. Now, couldn't we give them the benefit of the doubt that that could have been the deal? 
because I didn't see any playful activity in his writings from, from, uh, you know, just like anything else, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, from right from the horse's mouth, I didn't see anything that was, uh, like, uh, you know, going after the young girls being crazy and stuff. Uh, well, was, uh, you know, it, his womanizing ways, it, I don't know too much about it, but he was, he was a diplomat and, uh, his womanizing ways could have actually it could have been what uh, changed the course of the Revolutionary War because France, as you know, aided us big time in that war. Oh. They really didn't care for the British either. So, you know, it's like if any enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the French were all on board with what we were trying to do against the British. Wow. And I guess wow. it, took, it took the Savoir Faire and the Rico Suave of a Benjamin Franklin to, you know, his power of persuasion, basically, maybe, I, I don't know, but I would suspect that's what happened to gain yeah. favor with the French crown. I, I remember he was invited to, I think, London Park to, uh, and he went in there and he went unprepared and he said they attacked him about, about the colonies, the, uh, the staff there in, in England. Uh -huh. And he just took he took the the razzling politely, you know, and then retreated back to France. Uh, and that's when he went back to the United States. Let's just let's just kick him off of this this territory. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, okay. Part well, of the, part of that I remember, uh, which was uh, <clears throat> which was brutal because it was uh, taxation without ta uh, votes. You know, is tyranny or something like that. They, uh, right. The whole thing, you know, so it's good history, but I do believe he's got he got labeled uh, a little too radical without him uh, being able to uh, to defend himself. Like he's not here <laughs> to be able to defend himself. He did he just like us. He did dance and sing and enjoy. I think when he was up to seventeen, and then he. And drinking and, and spending all his money and realizing that uh, they used to call them a quart of beer or a jug of beer, what used to be called a Jill, G I L L. Oh, and really? He, yeah. And he goes, he goes, I would spend my money on my Jill and then have to go up the wooden floor and, and drink with the guys. And I find out that that was not uh, economical of me. He was, you know, calculating all his money and so forth. And he goes, and then he talks about how he, him and his buddy, when they went to France or something, they spent it all their money. He goes, we just wasted all our money. All we did was sing and dance and, and thing and, and to no avail, you know. So he uh, he buckled up. He goes, not to do that again. He learned from his mistakes, though. Oh, you know? sure. But as yeah, a young man, just like we did, you know, he had to, he had to learn what didn't work and then, and then started... Uh, but I think the thing that really um, starting his own business is what I really believe uh, helped him to uh, to concentrate more. He didn't get along with his, his brother. His brother was, you know, he would like working for family. How do you like? Very little pay, <laughs> a lot of hours. And uh, not, not my brother. <laughs> my brother is most generous. Well, with me, he has to be because I'm his older brother. Oh wow, good, good. You're his authority. Well, not, not, not that works, you know. Big Amen. brothers. 
Yeah, Big brother. I had an older brother too, and I do have an older brother. But, uh, yeah, Franklin, uh, I believe he owned. He was a publisher and a printer, and he owned uh, so much of the printing rights all up and down the east coast of the United States at that time, plus some in the Caribbean also. He had a lot oh. of interest how, in the how, how would they? How would they? Uh... Don't know, because publishing at that time was mass media. They had no internet or anything like that. They had no TV, radio, nothing. All they had was the printed word and... Uh, basically artists' conceptions of what visually happened. So you went by writers and you're entertained. And a lot of them were treated like rock stars. Wow. Because of their status. And that's where people were willing to pay money to get their information and their entertainment, just like they do today. And so people, I, I would imagine, like, I remember, uh, I guess like, Someone like Charles Dickens, for example, he started out just submitting uh, little articles to magazines. And look what happened to him. You know, he, he was a rock star of his day. A lot of those writers were. Wow, wow. So that's the way it was. And speaking of mass media, you may or may not know this. And I, I would be surprised if you did not. But around the, the turn of the millennium, around the year, it was New Year's Eve, 1999, going on to 2000. And I was working at a print shop of all places and with my friend Bob from the Sunday night meeting. And one of the questions these two morning hosts had was, who was the most influential person in the last 1,000 years? Well, naturally, people came up with um, Edison, um, Alexander Graham Bell, uh, the Wright brothers, and those are all very good answers. But uh, no one could guess the number one answer. And I turned to my friend, also in the print shop, and I said, I know who it is. It's Johannes Gutenberg. And sure enough, that was the answer. Now, do you, Fernando, do you know who Johannes Gutenberg was? I believe he was a printer. Yes, he was. And he invented movable type. And his first publication was called the Gutenberg Bible. And at those yeah, days, yeah. Uh, information was basically controlled by the scribes, basically the, the elders of the Catholic Church or whatever. Well, now Gutenberg kind of went uh, beyond the scribes and gave uh, the masses access to the Bible to learn how to read and, be, and not be illiterate. And now they can make up their own minds rather than be influenced by a committee who decides what goes in and out of the Bible and what the public should and shouldn't hear. So within 10 years, that Bible was printed in, I don't know, many, many languages throughout the world. So in, in essence, Johannes Gutenberg was kind of like the Bill Gates of his era. If you understand, he was, he was the information age at that time, about 500 years ago. That was awesome, you know, because uh, even Moses uh, had a iPad way back then, you know. He just yeah, yeah, he had a pad, all right, <laughs> a tablet, <laughs> a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's he, a, hey, man. he didn't have a stylus; he had a hammer and a chisel, or somebody did. 
They said this is the only thing that God had written with his finger. Is that it was written with, with God's finger to cut this. You can imagine how 80 years old, a couple of tablets that were at least 15 pounds a piece, you know, and bringing them down the mountain. Those well, guys had Yeah, yeah. Said, <laughs> all right. He's the man, okay. dude. <laughs> you know, so. and, uh, let, let's just have some more quotes of Benjamin Franklin here. He's There's a lot of them here. Uh, keep your eyes wide open before marriage, half shut afterwards. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, hey, if you're a man, you shouldn't be laughing at that. Unless she, unless she's not around, then it's okay. Yeah, keep your eyes she's wide so, open before scary. marriage. Have you know that's exactly what happened. You know, he married a, uh, I think a gal that had one kid, and then he went on to New York and became a mayor because of. Uh, his dad, you, know, you remember, he was a mayor too. I'm not oh, actually I didn't governor. Know that. Governor, he became the governor of uh, New York. One of his yeah. sons. Oh, yeah. His and it was he wasn't the father. He took the lady and the kid in. One today oh. is it, he says one today is worth two tomorrows. Benjamin Franklin. How about that? Woo. Hmm. Another, another quote, remember not only to say the right thing in the right place, but far more difficult still to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Wow. Huh. Yeah. How many times have we all been there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we want to say that is so cool. That's in Proverbs, by the way. And remember, he was groomed a little boy. I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old. Their only entertainment were books. And he said he read all all his all their library they had there, and the parents wanted him to go into the clergy, but you know he was just too smart for that. Uh, uh, too, you know he, the world needed a, a loose and carefree and intelligent person to make a difference. Or actually, God's hand was in him because he changed the, uh, you know, history right for us. Well, yeah. Um... Well, it's even in our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. And, you know, I believe a lot of what they were writing about in those founding documents was not just freedom to exercise your religion, but freedom from other religions, too. So there was a lot of divine inspiration in the founding of this country. They don't necessarily mention Jesus Christ or anything. They do mention the word creator. Mm -hmm. You know, certain inalienable rights endowed by our creator and i think they knew about this putting labels on religion stuff like one is going to claim they're better than the other and morally superior and this and that then all of a sudden you go you you're just bringing those european wars over here to the new world and that's what they were probably trying to escape one of the things they were trying to escape was that you know a government or in, in britain uh, a monarch basically a state-run religion you know, it's either my way or the highway or whatever. If you're a heretic or Amen. Well, since you mentioned, you mentioned mm -hmm. a thousand, the best. Don't 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 forget to include ourselves in that one thousand, because you know we we are the most important person in our lives is ourselves, and and being ignorant of uh, new information <laughs> is a virtue, you know, because it makes life interesting, and we're willing we're willing to learn. We're willing to get up early and and learn and that's what we're doing here and asking God for a fresh outlook upon life and how to do how to do it better right right um, amen right here uh
Benjamin Franklin, it says, uh, he said, he who falls in love with himself will have no rivals. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> he who falls in love with himself will have no rivals. You know, oh, I no, I question that because what about your mommy? Right. Yeah. Your, doesn't everyone's mommy love them more than anybody else? Right. I don't know. So that's that's right. You have a, a green eyed, better looking. No, but I, I, I understand uh, the meaning of that quote, though. Yeah, uh, I, I understand. <laughs> you know, you know, all it is is just allowing God's love to come in. You know, that's where I used oh. to rebel against God's love, and I couldn't let it in. And if I if I fall in love with myself without God's love, then I become, you know, I become uh, grandiose. And uh, I become my my attitude has I have problems with other people with my attitude because I'm in love with me in a wrong fashion. I don't know why, but there is a science in this. Okay, how do you not be egocentric, selfish, um, self-serving, or or entitlement? And uh, how do you fall in your love with yourself properly? Okay, that's that's the key here, and I think I think the only way is just through being humble and receiving God's love and giving people the benefit of the doubt uh, that uh, you're you have this treasure that you're is protecting you with love, you know. But you work for it, you know. You had to be humiliated, yeah. and they say, "Okay, God, I'll do it your way," and then. Maybe you're intelligent enough not to be humiliated. You say, okay, God, like Benjamin Franklin, was he ever humiliated in his life? Probably. <laughs> and I have a quote for, I have a quote for that. Uh-huh. Uh, we brought it up one day, and I remember it distinctly. Al was at that meeting at the park. Somehow the subject got on to Benjamin Franklin. And one of the quotes from my dear mother's books and the book was called Fart Proudly. <laughs> it was a compilation of Benjamin Franklin's little-known quotes. And one of the quotes goes as such, It is better to fart and bear the shame than to hold it in and suffer the pain. <laughs> okay. That was Ben Franklin, okay? You know, so he, he was kind of a party animal, too, you know? Amen. Yeah, man. There was so he, once again, he's human. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you that we are, um, you know, what falling in love with myself requires, um, for me, required a lot of reading. Once I read a lot and I got out of myself into the literature or the word, my my reward was a good sense of, of love or, or uh of joy went with me when I went to the meeting, you know, when I had a good dose of reading, I felt complete. In other words, uh, words are, are like a good meal, right? Yeah. They'll have a lasting effect. Hey man, that's even better. Right. A lasting well, effect. Well, the taste stays a good meal will stay. The taste will stay in your mouth for hours, maybe even over into the next day. If it was that good. Here's another quote from Benjamin Franklin. He that lives upon hope will die fasting. <laughs> oh. You know, that's, to be, wow. uh, that's me right there. He who lives upon hope. 
I'm waiting on the Lord. Someday, you know, my ship's going to come in, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to fast and pray. In other words, get up and work. He's giving you a, a hole. Go plant some potatoes, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, energy and persistence conquers all things. Benjamin Franklin. That's true. It's probably a law of physics, too. Benjamin Franklin, a place for everything, everything in its place. Huh. And that is so true. You know, when I'm looking for my glasses, a place yeah. for everything, everything in its place. Everything has a place. Now, I think um, I used to live, uh, my room, we used to roommate uh, when I was working for uh, UPS in Sacramento, driving semi, big rig, uh, I was uh, in a little church and then there was a little uh, widow lady with a a little five-year-old and she ran out rooms to make up for her nice house. And, and she would tell me that little black lady had a lot of influence in me. She would tell me and hug your mama six times. She died for lack of appreciation, you know, and I told her my mama was sick. Yeah. I was going to go home from Sacramento, LA. And yeah. I did that. And and it gave my mom five more years, you know. I just kept hugging her, loving her. But I, I was lying, you know. And she, she would love. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially here, mothers love to hear the, the most cherished thing you could tell any mother from a, a child is, "Hey, mom, uh, I just want to just out of the blue, just tell her, thanks for being a great mom. I think you're the greatest." And uh, that just will blow them away and make their day, really. Because uh, my mother was especially like that. That's all she ever wanted to hear was what a good mom she's been. Just to be reassured that she, she did all right. You know, she did well with uh, raising her children. And I think every mother, I think any mother would love to hear that. Most mothers. Amen. You know, uh, here, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, a rapid. I'm gonna give give me about I'm gonna say about seven of his quotes and see which one you like. Okay. <clears throat> sure. When in doubt, don't. Okay. <laughs> when in doubt, don't. Okay, that's 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 a big one for me. I did that before in a car. Remember that station station wagon I showed you? It was a good deal. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I sold it for the at, at more than that. Well, we were going to buy eight hundred dollars more, as a matter of fact. But they offered it to us. I sold it for them, and uh, and the and the buyer came from Santa Monica, and he came by himself, young man, and he looked at the car over very, and he talked and saw the records and everything. Opened the hood and he said, "This engine looks like it's been uh, over overheated, overheated." And I looked at it, and it had like, you know, hard crust of oil on it. And for uh -huh. uh, for all the uh, the things that I was saying and everything, all the accolades that I was talking about the car, I said, "Wow, I'm glad I had a little bit of doubt. I didn't buy it, you know." And uh, but he still can make money on it, you know. The uh, the market for used cars is up right now, uh, and he took it, and because the car was super clean, everything about it was clean tires. You know, one of those cars. Yeah. Uh, so, he, and uh, they went and they, uh, he bought it. Okay, let's move on. Okay, diligence is the mother of good luck. Benjamin Franklin. Okay. You may delay, but time will not. 
here she is one thou thou love life do you love life then do not squander time for that is the stuff life is made of hmm. here's an, here's another one life's tragedy I, I think you're gonna like this one life's tragedy is that we get old too soon and wise too late <laughs> oh yeah I love that we get old too soon and wise too late Okay, here's another one. It takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. Benjamin. Yeah, that's that's true. Either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. Benjamin Franklin. Uh That's cool, huh? Either write something worth reading. And you were, you're a journalist. You, you did all that uh, work with the newspaper, right? Right. Yeah. Do something worth writing. Is that the truth that you had to look for something worth writing or write something worth reading? I guess that's what we're doing right now. We're doing, we're podcasting with something worth listening to, right? Right. That's what we're doing. It's worth listening to, I hope. (laughs) Yeah. God bless you all people out there that are listening. We have a good week. Uh, A couple of more quotes and then we'll go ahead and uh, we're winding down to 30 minutes benjamin franklin beware of little expenses a small leak will sink a great ship what's a little oh. expense to you yeah wow that's a very good one that's Amen. that goes with that old saying an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure wow now, he may have said that one too Amen. it sounds like something he would say what else did he say? Remember, remember this one. I think I heard you quote this one many times before. This next one is, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Oh, yeah. That's his most famous quote. There you go. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. Wow. Uh, how true is that? I think the United States taxes you 50% if you die, huh? I, I don't know that the tax laws change all the time. All I know is they want their pound of flesh out of everybody. <laughs> Here's and one. if you got more, they'll take it happily. Here's one. The constitution only gives people the right to pursue happiness. You have the right. You have to catch it yourself. <laughs> the right, right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. No entitlements. Every this, yeah, this stimulus package. I think that's what made Benjamin Franklin great at 17. And he stopped partying and started uh, peddling his newspaper. Uh, and he got blessed by the other businessmen because of his up early at task and diligence. Yeah. The light was on early. And can you imagine working under candle, you know, or whatever they used back then? Toxins and so forth. Oh, yeah. Especially in the wintertime when it gets dark early. Did you ever take printing in uh, junior high school? Uh, I took it in uh, college. You know, like in junior high school, we took printing. We used to make our own business cards. What a teeny, oh really yeah teeny. oh yeah I did I did Remember? take silk screen printing. You know to make Remember t-shirts. Took, yeah, put those little words, the little uh, uh, lead words together. So, so yeah, that's that's name. called that's called movable type, like Gutenberg did. Little tiny letters, and you and you put them all in a line backwards to spell your name. Yeah, yeah. And you space it, and then you do the letting, the the space between the lines. You know, you it's know, crazy. That. They they didn't give you enough time to enjoy. 
45 minutes and then you had to put all that stuff away. And I, I'm sad to say I used to grab mine and throw them under, under the drawer, you know, but I couldn't have, couldn't figure out how to put them away. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, not only did we have to, well, we had to clean them, we had to clean the ink off them and then put them away exactly where we found them. So I apologize to the uh, Los Angeles police uh, school system. I've done that. <laughs> I was wrong. I was lazy. I actually, I hadn't been beaten up pretty good as a kid. Here, you better be careful what you You better be careful what you confess. You might get a knock on your door this afternoon. What have we got? A seven-year uh, statute of limitation. There you go. No, nah, no, not with the LA school. There's no, not, no, no, not even no, with library I, books. I will pay. I, I'm, I can pay today. <laughs> you know how much you'll be paying in interest? Oh, come on now! Thank you, God. I, I made it up in, uh, in something. Here we go, Benjamin Franklin. What more? Here we go. This is for a uh, 12-step program. As a matter of fact, who, who's who in the last 100 years? Who's who? Is Alcoholic Anonymous listed on who's who that uh, has it, approved the United States? Yes, it is. Okay. Benjamin Franklin said, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. Benjamin Franklin. Without continual growth oh. and progress. Mm. Such words of improvement as improvement, achievement, and success. So that's what we want to do. Let's go ahead and pray for this coming week. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this coming week. We ask you for improvement, Lord, diligence, achievement, and success in all our tasks. Help us to shine and maintain what you've given us to the utmost, Lord, and make it the best we can, be it uh, our, our reading or our home environment, Lord, cleanliness, is, Lord, and uh, help us to make everything optimal. If I need to change the oil in the car, change it. If you need to greet someone and say, say it. Maintenance is the best duty for us. And amen. Yeah, amen. All right. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to, when I get in the house, uh, I'm going to look up Benjamin Franklin quotes. And I'll probably keep a couple of them handy, uh, like on my desktop, just to remember. But I like the one about uh, when in doubt, don't. That's pretty simple. Well, yeah, that can, well apply. Done, that yeah. can apply to that moment before relapse. Right. When in doubt, right. don't do it. Actually, I don't think there is any doubt. It's just I mean, you, we all know what's going to happen, but we just follow through and do it anyway. We yeah, I think I think you are full of doubt with life's problems, you know, and um, you know, and you, and the and the booze is right in front of you, and the booze is beckoning you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you a way out. I'll give you success. If I drink, I'll have this for success. If I take this drug, I'll have a temporary success. In other words, our our imaginations had run askew, thinking that in the bottle or the drink, we're going to have immediate, and it does give you that immediate easement like you got success. Right. And, but it's it's short-lived. I remember falling off, you know, and buying a bottle and going home, opening it up, and it, I was all excited, all enthused, you know, this is going to put all the, fix me up. I drank the first couple of drinks, and I said, this is vanity. There's nothing in here. It dissipated. It was a lie. Right. It was a uh -huh. lie. There was nothing in there. 
it was it was playing God. It was just luring me, and and uh, I should have had some doubt on it. And I, when you're failing sure. to prepare, you're preparing to fail, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. So yeah, so, you know, uh, by so we prepare by you know by talking about relapse uh, prevention. You know, it, and you 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 got it right there. If in doubt, don't do it. You know. And that applies to so many things. Yeah. Like impulsive behavior, for one. You know, like if you have your eye on a certain item you, you really want for yourself, say like a leather jacket, for example, and you're saying, well, do I have the money or don't I? And you contemplate it. And it gets to the point where, well, I really don't have the money, but I'm going to buy it anyway. You know, once you buy it, it's like, oh, crap, I could have used that money for this bill or that bill because now I'm late in paying that bill. So, yeah, when when in doubt, don't. Until you know you have no doubt, then do it. That'll be the name of our podcast, okay? When in, uh, doubt, when in doubt, don't do it. Don't. I, the simplicity and driving those few words into our hearts can save us from a lot of trouble because, again, this life is short and one wrong move will in the wrong direction you know when when you when it's right you just feel it in your stomach and it is a good investment i remember when i invested in stock and it just couldn't and sure enough the stock tripled and quadrupled and i told other people and they bought thousands of dollars and they triple and quadruple and all that stuff and but i felt it i felt that I, i wish i would have that feeling more Anyway, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming in here. We did it. We accomplished our our recording for this week. We ask everyone to uh, give people the benefit of the doubt. And when you're in doubt, don't do don't. it. Just don't. That's a good one. Thank so you, that'll be the theme. That'll be the theme for the week. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, let's, let's pray with the uh, serenity prayer, please. All right. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. 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 Thank you, Patrick. Uh, Keep coming back, everyone, please. We appreciate your lives. Amen. Amen. Hope to see see you later on this week. If you come into town, let me know. We'll have a steak on the grill. You just might see me and my dog. <laughs> well, right. I'll put some put some fresh coffee on. God bless you, Patrick. You too. Thank you, Fernando. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.